we can't say we weren't warned. During the 2000 presidential campaign, Jair Bolsonaro showed how little he thinks of environmental policies. At first, he talked about getting rid of the Ministry of Environment altogether. He later backpedaled under pressure from activists and political analysts. But he later said that having a cabinet position dedicated to climate issues would mean nothing if he gave it no power. Upon taking office, Bolsonaro is doing more than just refusing to empower the Ministry of Environment. In the eyes of experts, he is actively dismantling it. His speak for minister was Ricardo Salles, a man with deep connections to Big Agro and a conviction for illegally helping mining companies to exploit protected areas. Before Bolsonaro, Brazil wasn't exactly a perfect example of how to protect the rainforest. Now, it is on its way to becoming one of the world's biggest cautionary tales. Today is World Environment Day, but does Brazil have anything to celebrate? My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. We cannot talk about environmental policies in Brazil without introducing the Rural Caucus. This group of lawmakers holds almost half of House seats and makes up a third in the Senate. Their goal is mainly to represent agricultural producers and cattle ranchers. For decades, their agenda was largely focused on blocking legislation which was against their interests. But for the first time, it seems... The caucus has an administration which is 100% on their side, and they want to use the opportunity to cash in. In the political patchwork that is Jair Bolsonaro's administration, one thing has been consistent. Big Agro holds all the cards. The Ministry of Agriculture is led by the former leader of the rural caucus in Congress. Meanwhile, Brazil's Forest Service is led by another former representative of Big Agro, who has time and time again criticized restrictions on deforestation. Yes, you heard that correctly. The chief of Brazil's forest service is pro-deforestation. Within the first five months of 2019, the government has bent over backwards to defend the interests of landowners and cattle ranchers. Between January and May, the number of fines issued by Brazil's environmental agency was the lowest in 11 years. And recently, the agency inaugurated some mm, unorthodox tactics, publicly announcing where it will monitor against environmental crimes, which kind of defeats the purpose of having auditors in the first place. But there are two moves that could escalate the dismantling of Brazil's environmental policies. The first one is the revision of conservation units and areas of forest protection. This is Sam Cowie, a British journalist specialized in covering the Amazon region. Um, that covers about 9% of national territory in Brazil. It's 334 units altogether. You know, some of these are areas of total forest protection. Others are in national parks, as they're known. Others are um, what are known as uh, sustainable 
label extractive reserves where essentially people live there and they may collect castagna nuts. They may, um, you know, sap, you know, they collect rubber sap from trees, etc. It's basically about keeping people in the forest to keep the forest standing, essentially. Now, um, the environment minister, Ricardo Salles, has said that he wants to take a look at, um, you know, wants to revise these um these 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 forest these 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 conservation units all 30 all 334 of them apparently he wants to you know reassess them he says that you know some of these um some of these units were basically you know put under protection uh you know in a very arbitrary manner that's his that's his argument the second is a bill presented by two senators Mauricio Bittar and Flavio Bolsonaro, none other than the president's eldest son. Their idea for their bill is to basically end what's known as the uh, Hezeva Legal. Now, the Hezeva Legal is a stipulation that was first put in place by Fernando Henrique Cardozo and then expanded during the, uh, the, the Lula government. And that was that basically rural property owners must maintain a part of their property um, you know with forest and native vegetation they can't just cut it all down to make more space for rearing cattle or growing soy or other crops basically now the argument of mr bitar and uh, mr bolsonaro junior is that this infringes on the sacred right of private pro private property in brazil and of course the um, the the Members, at least, of the the ruralista caucus, the agricultural caucus in Congress, and you know their their backers and funders um, across the nation, you know, are in favour of this. Uh, they say that you know, in the Amazon, for example, it's you must keep eighty uh, percent of your land with. Uh, you know, native vegetation and forest. They say that's too much. In the southern states, it's more like 20%. But of course, we have to remember that um, Amazon properties tend to be, you know, much, much greater in size. Um, so these are two factors. These are two parts of, uh, of two, two policies that haven't been enacted yet, but are really worrying environmentalists, you know. These changes haven't been enacted yet, which doesn't mean they are not harmful, as Sam describes. 80% of Amazon deforestation happens on either private property or areas which are in dispute, basically, um, you know, where people are trying to claim property. So if we're talking purely about the Amazon, if we say if there's a law coming in or a law that might be voted on that says, you know, you don't need to keep 80% of your property forested. Um, it's okay to, you know, to, to, to deforest more on your property. And this sends a message to these property owners that basically they can start cutting down um, trees on their properties and expanding, clearing their properties to create more space for rearing cattle um, and for growing soy. You know, um, it's important to remember as well that, you know, for every single head of cattle, you're supposed to have around an area the size of a football pitch for every single head of cattle, uh, they say, in order for that uh, cow to basically grow healthily. Of course, in practice, that's not always the way cattle are squeezed onto properties too. 
But basically, the effect, the message that's being sent on the ground in one aspect is that for property owners, you know, if you cut, if you if you deforest your properties right now, um, you're not going to be punished. And this is also further evident for the fact that um, there are, you know, there is a bill in progress right now that's being debated in the Senate and may go to the uh, the House to be voted on the lower house which basically extend the amnesty provided for illegal deforesters and for people that were supposed to replant trees on uh, their properties after they'd deforested from 2012. This was during the Dilma Husefi uh, administration with the, the new Kojigo uh, Floristal, the new forest code, um, which was extremely controversial at the time. Um, environmentalists were uh, were shocked and horrified because it was basically providing an amnesty to illegal deforesters. And their argument is that the more amnesties you provide, well, that just sends a message that, that illegal deforestation will be rewarded at some point. So we'll cut the trees down and then we'll just wait to see if there's an amnesty. Besides landowners, there is another group that would benefit from more lax legislation. The second is for organized crime groups who are extremely active in the Amazon and have been, you know, growing more and more active since the 70s. These are the loggers. These are the land grabbers that are very much, you know, they have they have their stake in local politics. You know, they pay in, you know, for uh, campaigns for and you know and you know and under the, under the table donations for local mayors and for local state um, legislators, local uh, city councilmen, etc. And what we see um, as a result of a very kind of aggressive position um, against indigenous people and against protected forest areas is that we are seeing a marked increase in the number of invasions uh, by these criminal groups onto indigenous lands and also um, onto forest conservation units. Now, that's certainly not something that started under the Bolsonaro mandate, uh, under his presidency, but um, it's it's something that has definitely accelerated. And we've seen that uh, since the beginning of the year. The support for Jair Bolsonaro in the Amazon region was adamant during the 2018 presidential race and the president has kept a hold of a lot of his supporters. Reporter Sam Cowie helps us understand their rationale, because despite committing environmental crimes, many people see themselves as victims of environmental agencies which are cracking down on their livelihoods. A lot of these places, their economy is almost entirely based on, um, on like illegal extraction of wood, on illegal mining and you speak to people in these places and they say things like you know oh, the 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 good citizen the citadel jibeng he just wants to work and then you know Obama arrives and burns our machines etc etc so you know their take on the situation whether they're you know whether they are just you know trying to justify the fact that they are involved with like committing environmental crimes um the situation, the reality is in a lot of these places that there really isn't a sustainable local economy. After the break, a journey into the Amazon Jaguar black market. We'll be right back. 
Ponto Futuro Rio is the B2B conference about technology for decision makers. On June the 5th, in Rio de Janeiro, 25 speakers from Brazil and abroad will get together to discuss how technology transforms businesses and society. The theme for this year's edition, the third already, is Augmented Humanity, or Amplifying Human Abilities Through Technology and How This Transformation Shapes New Relations and Calls for Adaptation. For more information, go to Futuro, that's future with a no at the end, dash rio.com. Futuro-rio.com. Uh, my name is uh, Eduardo Franco Berton. I am an investigative journalist. It was not until 2016 when I started to find a little bit more about this uh, new way of hunting the, the jaguar for their body parts. We basically started to, to investigate what was going on with the jaguar and we found a lot of uh, alarming things. The, the journey was quite intense, 10 regions in three countries that we, we visited for this uh, investigation. Jaguars once ranged from the southwestern U.S. to Argentina. Now their range only covers part of Mexico, Central America, and the northern to central part of South America. The jaguar populations were recovering from the, the hunting back in the 1960s. Suddenly, this new threat appeared which is hunting the jaguars for their body parts. So the main uh, part that it's being demand is the fangs, in, especially in Bolivia and Peru. And these uh, fangs are being sold to, to Chinese citizens. And they are buying these fangs directly from hunters, collectors, artisans, and sellers in the black markets. And they are transporting these fangs and skulls as well on suitcases to directly to China. So as an example of this, there was a very important case in 2015 where a Chinese businessman was that used to live in Bolivia. He was caught on the Beijing airport with 119 Jaguar fangs that he was uh, extracting from from Bolivian from Bolivian forest. So this shows us how these fangs are the main demand. Traditional Chinese medicine, which has a, a lot of followers, and they believe that uh, Asian tiger parts have these mighty powers to cure disease, to give strength to people, and to have sexual powers for men. So considering that tigers are going extinct in the wild, there's less than 4,000 tigers in the, in the wild, now Chinese are going after jaguars because we still have a, a very important number of jaguars in the, in the wild in Latin America. So they, they use the fang to show it like a jewelry on their on their necklace, and they also they're also using other parts like the the grease from the from the jaguar, because they think they it has medicinal purposes, and there is a lot of people that believe this is actually true, 
So they paid a very good price for these items. As an example, in Bolivia, a Jaguar fan can cost up to 100 to 150 US dollars. But in China, once in China, people, it's willing to pay up to 1,000 or up to $1,500. If you think about it, each cat has a maximum of eight usable teeth. And if the majority of the places where we're going and actually asking people for Jaguar parts are saying yes and actually showing you Jaguar teeth, you've got to ask yourself, you know, how big does this, how, how big is this industry? Where does, it, where, where does it really stem from? Where are they getting these Jaguars? And uh, what does that mean for populations on the ground? The illegal wildlife trade is a worldwide industry that is worth anywhere between seven and $23 billion annually. It's like going into a supermarket you, where you, where uh, regular people would go and buy chicken, chicken meat or cow meat or pork meat. Then you go into these places and you see uh, wild meat from monkeys, from turtles, from birds, from, from, from wild pigs and you, you will find an uh, animal part for sale. Jaguar. Jaguar. What are they called? Otorongo. Otorongo. And these are very dangerous places where even authorities have very a, a hard time going into these places. So we were very, we were taking a lot of precautions when going into these places and talking to these to these people they didn't know i was a journalist and so they practically told me everything how they were operating and the very curious thing about this was that they all knew they were committing a crime they all knew they could go to jail for this but they didn't uh, show any regrets for that uh, just in one case, in a community, the women told us that even she knew it was illegal, she needed to make an, make a living, she needed to have an income, and she needed to support her family. Uh, but in all the other cases, it, it seemed to me like the traffickers were like uh, laughing uh, for about the 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 laws and the authorities because they they believe it was a very low penalties and they made very good money selling this so it was very curious to show that uh, these people uh, most of them uh, didn't show any regrets on what they were doing but all of them i would say knew they were committing a crime That will be a, a very huge tragedy for humankind if we will say that jaguars will go extinct because they play a very important ecological role in the ecosystems. The jaguars are controlling the other species. And this is very important to maintain the ecological balance of the forest of the ecosystems of the biome as an example in some regions in bolivia and brazil back in 1970s and 80s 
jaguars were were hunted to the level that they almost disappeared in some places and there was a proliferation of capybaras which is the big animal we have uh, in brazil and bolivia in the amazon and in the pantanal and these uh, these caused a disease that affected the cattle and also humans so uh, and that was because people was killing jaguars on these uh, territories so if 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 a forest doesn't have a jaguar it's not a healthy forest and that it's very bad for for people This podcast was written and prepared by me Gustavo Ribeiro Maria Marta Bruno produced this show and Ewan Marshall edited the final script. A special thanks to Eduardo Franco Berton, our partners at Info Amazonia, High Bolivia and Monga Bay. If you want to read Eduardo's investigation on the black market of Amazon Jaguar body parts, the link will be on the Brazilian Report website. And if you like this podcast, rate us on any platform you may be listening to Explaining Brazil. It takes only a second, but it is really important for us. And many people ask me how they can support this show. The best way is to subscribe to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. Every day we have new content about Brazilian politics, finance and society. We've also got exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed about what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now to our free trial and enjoy all of our content for seven days. And it is really free. You don't have to submit any credit card information whatsoever. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian Report. That's all for now. See you next week.